Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. In this week's Bear With Me, I bring on DeBear's blog's resident stat man, Jonathan Wood, to talk all things bears. The season, the off-season, and the upcoming draft. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. Hello and welcome everybody to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears-themed podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network, where folks like me, EJ Snyder, Jeff Brickus, and Lester Wiltfong are dedicated to bringing you the most consistent, great Bears content that we possibly can. I generally tend to handle the news of things, but with it being the off-season, I'm left to my own devices to experiment a little bit, and that means bringing on great guests like the guy I've got lined up for you today. I had a great interview with Jonathan Wood, the statistician over at DeBear's blog, and I can't wait to show it to y'all. So why wait any longer? Let's go on Skype right now. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Robert. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad to have you on. So as I mentioned in the pre-show conversation that we just had, you are the first bona fide statistician that I've ever had on Bear With Me. I couldn't be more excited. So I'll lead in with this first question. Most people, when they watch football, they get desperately into formations or they watch tape a lot like what I've been doing recently. But you picked numbers. What drove you there? That seems like a relatively new mood of thought. I've always kind of been a person where numbers just kind of made sense to me. I mean, I'm a, a chemistry professor, for those of you who don't know me in my like actual day job. And so, uh, you know, chemistry is a lot of math. I've always liked numbers. So for me, it was actually a way for me to be able to understand football better because I um, honestly never played growing up and didn't really get into football that much till I got my first game of Madden in high school and kind of learned <laughs> some of the ins and outs of the more specific rules and stuff through that and got me into it a bit more. And so just really digging into the numbers helps me understand the game a bit better. Has there been any specific uh, stats that have pointed you in directions that you never thought you would end up in until you had done the number crunching, you'd boiled everything down and you'd found yourself there? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I'll actually go back to the very first article I ever wrote, which was way back yeah. in, oh gosh, whatever the year was, when the Bears traded for Brandon Marshall. Oh, was that 2012, 2013, somewhere around there? Um, and so I was, I got like super excited that they had gotten this like receiver who had been incredibly productive and went to go like do dive into his numbers a little bit and see how efficient he had been. You know, I went in fully expecting like to find that he was like way more efficient than all the other wide receivers around him. And that was going to be like super great for the bears. Cause they had like nothing at receiver at the time. Mm -hmm. I ended up finding out that at least in Denver, he had been actually relatively inefficient with his huge volume of targets. Oh, but his 
of added value had been actually that he made um, the re- the players around him more efficient because he had actually um, when he had moved from Denver to Miami uh, a couple years before all the remaining Denver receivers got less efficient and all the Miami receivers around him got more efficient. And so like, it's just really fun to go in with like this one idea in your mind and end up somewhere completely different. Absolutely. So you're telling me that, that, uh, that old tape adage you hear in football of number one wide receivers all the time, that whole, he makes the guys around him better by drawing coverage that actually was born out in the numbers with Brandon Marshall. Yeah, at least in Denver and Miami. And then he showed up in Chicago, and in his first year, he was super efficient, and everybody was else was amazing. really inefficient. That's <laughs> that's probably one of the most dominant. So I'm speaking way off the top of my head. I'm a relatively young fan, so I know I could get this wrong, uh, but bear with me, audience. But when Brandon Marshall came into Chicago, that was without a doubt the best receiving performance I have ever seen. I mean, that was dominance on a level that, frankly, I don't know if anybody's gotten close to. What did you think? Well, in terms of as a Bear, yeah, absolutely. Best season in franchise history. Um, in terms of the entire NFL, I, I mean, other guys match that, but I think you were talking about the Bears. Primarily the Bears, but I will tell you one, or I guess this gives us a decent opportunity to talk about one topic I know is pretty near and dear to both of our hearts uh, when it comes to receivers and taking steps forward. There are two guys on the Bears that both of us think have the potential to be 1,000-yard guys in uh Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson. Do you think either of them have a chance to reach Marshall's numbers or at least his efficiency ratings? Oh, I don't know about reaching Marshall's numbers. I mean, he had 1,500 yeah, yards that year. The numbers year. is I, a bit of a stretch. I don't think they're going <laughs> to throw it to anybody enough to do that. Um, in terms of efficiency, I'd have to look back more closely at Marshall's efficiency, but generally efficiency has gotten a lot better in the passing game around the NFL in okay. the like seven or eight years since then. So I don't actually know that that would be super efficient, considered super efficient anymore because those numbers have just exploded in the last decade. I'll tell you, it's always interesting to me when I want to go find big yardage numbers on receivers. I'll take Allen Robinson, for instance. So I know you saw it a while back. I did a statistical comparison of Anthony Miller and Alshon Jeffrey. And while I did that un- under the table, I had used Allen Robinson as a big driver for a lot of the statistics that I generated because I was really interested to see how yards per target kind of bore out over seasons. And it was really interesting to see that I'm pretty sure Robinson, if I'm remembering this correctly, got a lot less targets than he got in Jacksonville in his first year in Chicago. But Maybe that had something to do with relative passing attempts. I don't know. Was there anything in this season that stuck out to you? I'm going to pull that question to a much broader thing. Anything with Robinson or across the rest of the team offensively that stuck out to you from a statistical perspective? Um, One thing I have looked at from the offense last year, um, actually I did some work a, a month or two ago on explosive plays. Um, found okay. these are actually really important for an overall offense's performance in terms of scoring points, which makes pretty good sense. You know, you get one big play and you're yeah. probably already in scoring range. And they actually struggled a bit last year. They were below average in explosive plays, but their guys who performed the best were uh, Tariq Cohen, Anthony Miller, and Allen Robinson oh. in terms of like the percentage of their touches or targets that were explosive. I think all three of those guys have pretty good potential to do more of that going forward as their volume hopefully increases a little bit 
also Jordan Howard was like a giant anchor on the offense in that regard last yeah. year because he, I think, had a total of 10 explosive plays on 276 touches, which was just absolutely awful. <coughs> so hopefully yeah. hopefully they get a little better production from that running back spot this year in terms of um, being explosive. It's always so interesting how numbers, I, I think anyways, can bear out it on film. I remember you saying that in a tweet a while back, talking about explosive plays. You mentioned exactly those three, Miller, Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson. I think Allen Robinson's big plays speak for himself, while some of them ended up in the end zone. I swear, man, Allen Robinson always felt like he was on the end of some 20-yard, like, up the right sidelines bomb at least once a game. So hearing that he was on that, because what do you define explosive? Is that 15 or more? What's the number? Um, yeah, it was uh, runs of 15 and passes of 20, I believe. Or, that sounds right. Or 10 and 15, maybe. I'd have to look back at the exact. I borrowed the metrics from like ESPN stats. Hey, it works. Uh, but one thing I did think was really funny was looking back, uh, and I'm sure, like you're saying, that Nagy wants to generate more of these. I think the only long touchdown, like the truly long touchdown from, and by that I guess I mean from behind the 50, might have been Tariq Cohen's screen pass against the Jets. And I only say that because I can't remember another one. Uh, most of the Bears' biggest plays just didn't end up in the end zone. Some of them ended up at like the three or four, sometimes the eight-yard line. They'd get close, but getting into the end zone, that last little bit on some of those explosive plays, I'm sure that's what Nagy would like to do a little bit more of. Absolutely. You can't beat a one-play scoring drive, you know? <laughs> no, you can't. Was there anything else uh, that surprised you, whether positive or negative, throughout the season? You mentioned Howard on the negative and Robinson and the rest of the receivers on the positive. Any other statistics that come to mind? Um, I did a little bit of work uh, early in the offseason breaking down uh, Trubisky's stats a little bit by like area okay. of the field. And I was actually really impressed by how good he was on the underneath stuff. Um, his completion percentage and yards per attempt there were both um, you know, better than the league average. And he really, uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, uh, particularly at avoiding interceptions on down there. Okay. And then on the flip side, the deep stuff was not as good, uh, particularly did not complete a lot of passes throwing deep and really struggled throwing a lot of interceptions there. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it definitely started to feel like Trubisky was sort of just heaving the ball every once in a while. I really, to this day, don't have any idea whether that was by design on Nagy's end or whether that was Trubisky just trying to get a feel for it. But, I mean, that bears out with what I saw. One thing that I definitely think is really funny, you talk about the underneath stuff. I swear that some quarterbacks can't buy a break because as soon as you end up with a narrative like what Trubisky has right now, it feels like you complete a couple of underneath passes. And even if you do it well, people are just going to point and say that that's all you can do. I don't know. That's one of those where hearing that he did better than average is actually a little surprising just because most people want to they want to label him some check down Charlie or a bad court. I don't know. It's weird. Did you have any big takeaways on Trubisky? Well, it's funny you mentioned people talking about like all he did was check down because he had like 22 or 23 percent of his throws were deep down the field, which was one of the highest <laughs> rates of any season I charted over the last decade for any Whoa. quarterback. Like he took, I actually think, too many deep shots last year. It was just a lot of that, the narratives with him last year got formed in the first two weeks of the season when the Bears were prime time in both of them. And Trubisky was, quite frankly, awful for like the first oh, yeah. three weeks, really, before the breakout Tampa game. But by that point, they were just kind of playing 
you know, on Sunday at noon and nobody was paying attention nationally. I'll tell you what, that game he had against Tampa from a statistical, did you think he was going to break the record uh, while you were watching it? Oh, man. Yeah, when he got that sixth one, it was what, like halftime or right after halftime? Yeah, it was real close. (laughs) I thought for sure he was going to, I don't know about break the record, but at least tie it with seven. And like Nagy was trying to. It looked like Nagy was trying to, and it sounds so stupid when I say this out loud, but when Trubisky got his sixth and none of them were running scores, it felt like that game in Madden that we've all played before, and I know you mentioned Madden, where you're actively trying to break the record, and so you're calling very particular passes down in the red zone to try to get your guy into the end zone with it counting as a passing statistic. I don't know. I, I totally recognize the same thing. I was like, Nagy's clearly making this work for Trubisky. You mentioned those first two weeks of the season, and I'm definitely with you on a lot of that stuff. It felt like for a while there, Trubisky did just, I mean, he was just terrible. There were a lot of Bears fans that wanted to say, oh, he's still growing. I still remember how well he grew last year. I don't know. Trubisky was rough, but boy, by the end of the season, that guy was firing on all cylinders. I know you've talked about it at length. Do you have anything you want to point out regarding the last couple of weeks? Any big numbers there? Yeah, it was actually really interesting to see because um, both those first three weeks before the Tampa game and the last three weeks after he came back from injury, his play style statistically was pretty similar in that he took a lot more short stuff and didn't really throw it deep as much. It was the middle section of the season when he really was chucking it. Um, okay. Th- like they switched clearly kind of preparing for the playoffs with a lot more like conservative, grinded out offense. You know, that's when they kind of focused on getting Howard going more and just trying to ride their defense to a win. But he was so much more efficient at it late in the year. And you could tell watching the games, he was just so Mm -hmm. much more comfortable in the offense, making calls at the line, reading the defense instead of just running around like a chicken with his head cut off, which he honestly did the first few weeks. Yeah. the Like you mentioned, the growth throughout the season was really noticeable watching him do kind of the same, just safe, short stuff in such a different way and so much more effectively. Absolutely. I have no idea if you know his third down efficiency off the top of your head. Is there any chance you do? I do not. Sorry, I haven't looked at it by down at all. (laughs) I can't treat you like a literal computer now, can I? (laughs) But uh, I know that was one thing that I know stuck out to me about the last couple weeks of Trubisky's season. He felt like he was much stronger on those key third downs. You'd end up with your your hands in your mouth, like biting your nails, uh, as Trubisky dropped back in the pocket because for some reason Nagy called another pass play to him, which is not discredit to Nagy. It's more that as a Bear fan, I don't know how you felt, but I always had my heart in my throat anytime Trubisky had the ball in an even generally important situation because I've seen too many quarterbacks fail and maybe I've just got PTSD from the whole situation. But Trubisky kept coming through. I mean, that throw he had to Allen Robinson late in the Philly game is a perfect microcosm of just the way that Trubisky kept overcoming what we expected of him. I don't know. It was really different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really interested because that was, besides maybe the Arizona game, that was really the first time we had seen Trubisky all year need to do like a late come from behind drive like that because they had just played from ahead all year. And so it was great to see him step up in that situation in the big moment. By the way, I just looked it up real quick. Uh, In those last three weeks, on 28 third down plays, um, including two Trubisky scrambles, 
He completed 19 passes, had a passer Whoa. rating of 110, and picked up 13 first downs. Holy moly, that is great. At least that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to do a little more breaking down of the first down percentage because uh, 19 completions, uh, 11 first downs passing it. So Okay, and then two scrambles Throwing for short first of the sticks, um, yeah. So not sure like what the down and distance was with those. I haven't broken that down, but that's just general rough stats real quick. Yeah. Hey, it's something. It's certainly something to build off of. Uh, and a 110 passer rating is no joke, but that's where the fun with numbers comes in because you got to eliminate the passes that were, you know, five yards and a cloud of dust. But yeah. Oh, well. Now, you mentioned Jordan Howard. And getting rid of him, given that he was sort of a boat anchor on those explosive plays, which brings up an offseason that has been a whole lot of quiet. And then I feel like most of its big moves have come from who's leaving the team instead of who's joining the team. Now, what are your impressions about the offseason altogether so far? I actually think the two biggest moves of the offseason were uh, both well before free agency started. The first one was when they uh, re-signed Bobby Massey. And then the second one, when they were able to rework Kyle Long's contract so he sticks around. Um, because of James Daniels kind of easing into the lineup last year and Kyle Long getting hurt shortly after that happened, we only saw their projected starting lineup for this upcoming season, um, including those two at guard, um, play together for about 200 snaps last year, so about three games worth. Okay. But the results for the offense were incredible in those three really? games. Yeah. Um, and this was not just three games. It was like spread out over four or five. But when those two were on the field together and the other three, white hair and the two tackles, were all there too, they averaged 8.5 yards per pass play and 5.2 yards per run and picked <laughs> up a first down on a third of their plays. To put That's that in perspective, awesome. all of those numbers are better than what the best offense in the NFL did last year. No way. Way. Oh, oh wow. Okay, that, that now, does help put that in perspective. Obviously, that's a small sample size. Mm -hmm. But that's enough to make me really excited. I'm particularly hoping that along with a healthy offseason this year um, can stay healthy next year because um, he – Played about half the snaps last year, and they averaged 4.9 yards per run. In about the half of the season that he missed, they were at 3.5. He made a massive impact on the run game. I mean, that drops my jaw. You've mentioned that number to me before in passing, and it just, just it blows me away that one lineman could contribute. Is that 1.4 yards per carry? I mean, that's yeah. that's like... 70% of those statistics that they keep showing about Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard about, oh, who's getting touched before the line, like, leave somebody open. I don't know. That's a whole bunch of different beef with pro football focus that I know <laughs> the two of us have, but whatever. Uh, I'll tell you that that Massey deal is amazing, and I don't know how Pace made that work. I mean, what is that? So it's $4 million now, if I'm remembering correctly, and then $8 million over the next couple of years. And that is pennies compared to what most other tackles seem to be getting this offseason. Do you have any insight into how he did it or whether that's immediately worth it? No, I don't really have any special insight into that. I mean, I know it was a little higher. I think I had expected it. I predicted it around like 6 to $7 million. 
It came in around $8 million per year, so it was a little higher than I was initially expecting. But then, uh, like you mentioned, the structure is actually pretty good. And then tackle contracts in free agency this year were just like astronomical compared to that. So in that, like at the time, people were actually saying it's a little higher, probably like with the market. But, you know, three months later, it already looks awesome. I feel like that's been the theme for this offseason, and it's one that I can't explain other than to just pair it off of basically what you just said, which is there have been different points where I hear the terms of a deal. Another good example would frankly be Buster Screen, uh, where I hear the terms of the deal. It's five and a half or per year, and I think to myself, ooh, that's a little higher than I might have gone. But then they keep coming out with different nickel corners or in Massey's case, other right tackles start to get their money and you start looking back saying, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? There seems to be a huge spike in free agency money handed out this year. Yeah, you know, the cap keeps going up and so teams have money to spend and they got to spend it on somebody. Absolutely. So are there any free agents that you're particularly excited about adding to the Bears? I know one that I'm studying right now is Cordero Patterson. Uh, How are his explosive plays? Yeah, funny you mentioned that. Let me find that exact stats real quick. But he was really good um, at that in a limited number of touches. He's a guy who's not going to play a ton. He... Uh, last year in New England, which was probably the best season of his career um, or best mm-hmm. usage of his career, he played a little more than Bellamy did in Chicago last year. Okay. Like basically, if you combine Bellamy and um, Taquan Mizell's roles last year, like that's what Davis did for New England. Um, <laughs> except for he Mizell. produced in um, an explosive touch at actually pretty similar rates to Tariq Cohen. Oh, that's a good which name is, to be following. Yeah. I mean, obviously fewer touches. He's not going to be like a guy who puts up a thousand yards for you, but if he can put up 500 in an efficient manner, um, produce explosive touches on offense. And then he also, um, was about 10 yards per kickoff return better than the bears last year. So that helps a little bit too. Like, I feel like he's the type of guy who's, you know, he's not going to have a consistent impact like a Tariq Cohen or an Allen Robinson will. But he is absolutely going to make a big play in two or three games this year that swings the outcome of that game. That's in the Bears' what favor. It feels like, I mean, I so I'm halfway through watching the. Uh, believe it or not, this for some reason what I decided to do today. Uh, halfway through watching the New England and Chicago game, and it is amazing how quickly Cordell Patterson can change the game with one play. That's the game where he had that uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. And the whole momentum of the game feels like it shifts because the Patriots are making mistakes, the Bears score, they're winning, and the Patriots are right back in it in one boot of the ball. Hopefully you can do a little bit of that for us. Yeah, instead of against the Bears, that would be appreciated. (laughs) Wouldn't it? So one thing that I know you've been doing lately that is something I absolutely had to get you on for has been the work that you've done comparing Nagy's fits at various positions to combine measurements in looking forward towards the draft. Now, it's crazy how quickly April is moving and the draft feels like it's right around the corner. Uh, What needs are you seeing for the Bears as we head into the draft? Sure. Um, I mean, obviously, the one everybody's talking about is running back with (laughs) good reason. You know, they traded Howard and it seems like they've met with every back in the draft. So they're obviously going to be looking there. Um, Beyond that, I think most of their needs are probably getting guys in place for like 2020. They've got some 
uh, you know, guys coming up due for contracts. And so there are some expensive veterans who they've been able to afford now with all this young, cheap talent who might have to be cap casualties. Guys like uh, um, Prince Amukamara or um, uh, Trey Burton, or okay. Taylor Gabriel are a few that come to mind. Or like Danny Trevathan's going to be a free agent and they might not be able to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about try to get guys in place so like a you know a cornerback um, who can maybe hopefully start in 2020 or a wide receiver like speedy guy to replace Gabriel or a tight end that kind of thing okay are there any fits that you've found that you've looked at the draft board okay so let's back up a second when you look at our third pick or which I guess is our first pick but it's in the third round where do you think the Bears go with it at the moment and what position do you think they look for have you identified any fits and measurements that go with it um, I think they're probably leaning, looking running back for that based on the guys they've been looking at are largely mid round guys, which is, you know, that first pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly wouldn't be upset to see them draft an edge rusher in that spot. If somebody falls, cause this is supposed to be a loaded and deep draft for edge rushers. And I honestly haven't done any work on them. I just know all the smart draft guys I follow <laughs> have all, have all said that this is a great draft for edge. And those that's a spot where good guys don't really hit free agency and are really expensive. So if they have a chance to add one, I say forget about current needs and go for it. Um, but in terms of running back, I actually have done a little bit of work. Um, the idea here was I actually looked at running backs that uh, Andy Reid has brought in in Kansas City because that's just okay. a longer sample size, and you know that's where Nagy came from. So just tried to identify what. Uh, you know, physical traits is he looking for in a running back, assuming that Nagy is going to be looking for a similar thing. Uh, and I found actually um, there were some common patterns with like the seven or eight guys he's brought in in like his seven or eight years there. Okay. Um, generally legs backs who are like short. Um, so average height's about 5'10 for most running backs and everybody he's brought in has kind of been that or less. Okay. Um, but still well-built, so at about like 215 pounds or more, which is like an average or heavier running back. So okay. guys who can, you know, take a hit. And then physically, he likes um, running backs who are more quick than fast. Like they don't have to be straight-line burners, but he wants them to have good acceleration, which is usually um, evidenced in like a above-average, like first 10 yards of the 40 split. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, good acceleration to kind of get through the hole quickly. And then also goes for guys who are explosive, which is usually measured through like vertical and broad jump. So guys who are testing well there as well. And the good news is there's actually a lot of running backs in the draft this year who hit. Um, I had an article on this a week or two ago and out of um, those like five uh, metrics I just talked about, there were like six guys who hit at least four of them and like 12 more who hit three and like just missed on one. Um, Most of them are just a little bit light, which isn't the end of the world. (laughs) Wait, will sneak up on you. What were, do you happen to remember the names of those guys? Yeah. I mean, there's too many to list all of them, but you look at, you look at a lot of the guys the bears have been looking at, like, uh, you know, justice Hill. Um, uh, what's the Travion Williams, um, miles Sanders, um, David Montgomery, um, Josh Jacobs, who they actually just met with, though I okay. doubt he's there for them. Darrell Henderson, 
um, all most of the guys they've been looking at have actually been pretty good fits, physically speaking. It's crazy to think how many guys are out there that could fit the Bears' needs if they needed them. It's also funny to me for some reason that you mentioned uh, Travion Williams because I've really only loosely watched his tape, but he seems pretty tall. But heck, maybe my eyes are fooling me. You get so used to watching running backs run kind of crouched over or you stare too deep at Tariq Cohen, you start to think everybody's tall. Yeah, he actually was 5'8 at the Combine, so he's okay. on the short so he's end of right, things. He's right in that window that uh, Nagy might be looking for. A little short, does the rest. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much weight they specifically put in that. It was just a pattern that I noticed. Like most of the guys were like five nine, five ten. They didn't have any super tall running backs. Absolutely, you know, like, the, like six zero, six one type guys mm-hmm. who are a bit bigger, longer that way. I always, I'm always curious to know. And frankly, this is probably something that you and I could only hope to speculate about. We'd never get a straight answer from anybody if we asked. But I'm always curious as to whether coaches take that kind of stuff measurables like that into account or whether they just happen to like the tape of guys that happen to put up certain measurables that way maybe they cross-reference them i don't know i just think that the pattern that you're finding is frankly too strong to not notice if that makes sense yeah i mean you get a bit of an inkling with that with guys who like used to work for nfl teams who are like in the draft like tv entertainment realm now Mm-hmm. And usually they say like they mainly like have some minimum, like if a guy's worse than this, then he's not like athletic enough for us. That is, makes sense. Is what I've seen some of them say, but then beyond that, they're not super worried. And I always try to make it clear in these articles too. I'm not like saying, oh, this guy's the best physical fit. That means he's the best player for the offense. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a useful way to like, this guy has the physical traits that they've looked for before, or these guys do now that narrows it down from, you know, like 50 backs in the draft, to like 15, let's study these 15 and see which one's best fit. Okay. So it's the sort of thing you're, you're more kind of bringing it up as an eliminator in the same sense of, uh, gosh, who's that running back that just had an absolutely terrible combine was his last name Snell. Uh, I know Singletary yeah. didn't have a phenomenal combine guys like that, where I know that they were bigger names before the combine than after and poor test results help us more push them out of our mind of study than they do bring them in and stuff like that. That kind of thing, yeah. Like, I mean, Snell ran like a 4.840. I mean, that's yeah, not enough slow running back. And so, I like, that's a guy who I haven't heard linked to the Bears. Maybe I missed that, and they've met with I don't him. It think... seems like they've met with everybody, but... I don't yeah. think he is linked to the Bears. I know that uh, Combine stuff really started... I remember visits, of course, they kind of start around the combine. That's where rumors of guys going specific places sort of begin. But I'd remembered I'd heard Snell's name way more before the combine with people talking about being a smooth runner, contact balance, yada, 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 scout terms that you hear all over Twitter all day long. Uh, And after the combine, after that testing, exactly like you're talking about when it comes to making sure that you measure and understand guys' physical fits, nobody has said his name since. Because like you're talking about, sometimes measuring up to testing is about breaking certain bars than it is about achieving the highest heights. It's about passing the low mark and ensuring that you are part of the quality that you're showing on film. I don't know. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, are you an NFL caliber athlete for this position? If you are, cool. Let's analyze how well you play. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. Last thing that anybody wants is to draft a guy who looks phenomenal on film, gets to the NFL field and just gets washed out because he's frankly not fast enough. I mean, certainly no way to hit a second gear and uh, blow through with an explosive play like what we've been talking about if you just don't have the speed for it. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any defensive backs that you've been taking a look at? I know you mentioned corner. Plenty of people are talking about the other hot topic for the Bears, which would be potentially safety, given that both Deion Bush and HaHa Clinton Dix are on one-year deals. I know people want to get them in the pipeline. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, frankly, anybody from defensive back. You mentioned tight end. I find that a really interesting prospect because Adam Shaheen hasn't been what we hoped he'd be. Uh, Trey Burton, I... We'll get we'll we'll get into tight end after DB. What do you think about DBs? Anybody that you've found there? Have you done a study on them? I honestly haven't. Um, you know, as a professor, it's a, it's hard for me to find time to do this totally stuff during the semester too much. Um, and I've been focusing mainly on running back uh, this off season, um, doing a deep dive on some of that stuff and offense a little bit too. Um, so, I mean, in general, I think a well, this thing is with Fangio gone. Like I knew Fangio liked long cornerbacks, but I don't even know what Pagano likes now. Neither do um, I. But in general, just thinking about like the Bears have two very different styles of cornerback right now in terms of their outside guys. Um, Prince is much more of like a in-your-face press man type player, whereas Fuller plays a little bit more like off man or zone coverage. And so like Fuller just signed that big deal. He's going to be here for the next few years, but Prince mm-hmm. is a year or two left, so... Getting that style of player would be good, but I honestly can't tell you a name to match that. It's okay. Same with either. Can same I. with safety. Like Jackson's the coverage guy, so more of a in the box, you know, solid uh, run defense safety. Um, like what Amos did would be great, but I couldn't tell you who that is. Speaking of Amos, that does bring up one thing that whether it's eyes or stats, I would love to ask you about. A whole lot of people, I keep hearing this platitude repeated over and over, and this is a bit of a tangent, but ride with me because I'd love to get another football guy's opinion on this. So I hear a lot of people talking about how one of the things that helps Clinton Dix and Eddie Jackson, Clinton Dix especially, who's not a particularly good tackler, is that the Bears have this magic front seven that just doesn't need any defensive back support because they'll be able to handle any runs and short passes all on their own. What have you seen anyways? Has our front seven borne that out to you? Do you think that they'll still end up needing defensive back support? I don't know. What have you seen? I mean, you always need defensive back support to some extent, right? I mean, that's what I've kind of been thinking. (laughs) They have to be involved. You can't play seven versus 11. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I think a a really good front seven, like what the Bears have, can help um, limit like the guys who are running completely free and full speed into the open field to test the safeties in that regard, which probably makes their job harder. I sure Um, hope. I remember, again, thinking back. little older Bears references, Chris Conti, actually. Um, I think it was 2012 when the Bears had a really good defense. Like, that was Erlocker's last year, and Briggs still Briggs and Peppers still playing well. Um, you know, that their front seven was really good, and so Conti could just kind of do his thing in coverage and actually had a pretty solid year that people were like, oh, hey, we finally got a decent young safety. And then Erlocker retired, and Briggs got old and fat, and Peppers quit playing <laughs> in 2013. And all of a sudden, their run defense was historically bad, and all these guys are running at Conti full speed. 
and he got exposed hard. Oh, I remember that. That was back when Lance Briggs opened up his barbecue restaurant, right? <laughs> I think that might have been 2014, but it was, you know, that, that Tressman era. That's Gosh. not fun. <laughs> They've yeah, come a that's, long way. Hey, dude, yes, they have. That's one thing that I keep popping up on film. I keep seeing Amos running up and making tackles, and a, lot, a whole lot of people keep talking about how, like I mentioned earlier, how our front seven just doesn't need a safety running up and making tackles. But every time Amos makes a tackle, I keep thinking to myself, I wonder who's going to make that tackle next year. So it might be interesting to find another one of those run-stopping safeties, kind of like you mentioned earlier, and I'm sure some draft Nick could come help the both of us out and point us towards guys to look for. But Absolutely. Darnell Savage, Malik Hooker, those are two names I know. I, I have never watched those two, but I hear they're great. I mean, I saw Hooker play a couple times last year because I'm a Northwestern fan, so I watched that game and just generally see some Big Ten on Saturdays, but it's hard to gauge safeties on watching live. No kidding. That's one of those that you definitely need to take that time, roll it back, and start to watch what it is they were doing on the play and how they did it. Did I see that you at one point put together an article on tight end fits for a Nagy read offense? Yeah, that actually uh, just came out today. Well, Monday for whenever this uh, podcast comes out. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> same ideas with running backs, and I actually did something similar with wide receivers last year. Um, just looked at what they had done in Kansas City, what kind of guys did they look for. Actually, in this one, I expanded it to back to Philadelphia even, um, just because okay. you don't get as many tight ends as running backs and wide receivers. So I wanted a decent sample size. Um actually found a few trends um this was looking especially at the like the u tight end which is like what burton plays like more okay. of the kind of big wide receiver um role whereas the like y tight end which is what they tried to do with Deion sims and then uh, adam shaheen last year is more of like a blocker kind of glorified offensive lineman okay um so the u tight end is again thinking along the lines of mainly pass catching skills. So nothing I found physically here was really surprising. They tended to be lighter, like on the light side of okay. the tight ends, um, fast. So their 40 time was appreciably better than the average for a tight end and explosive. So again, coming in well with jumping well. Um, so basically they want athletic guys who can run and catch makes sense. <laughs> yeah, in theory, it certainly does, especially when you've got guys whose names I can just think of off the top of my head, like Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, uh, all pre-Trey Burton, frankly. I mean, come on, we got Ertz's backup to come start for Chicago. There have been some big names in these uh, Nagy Reed offenses. But I will ask, when it comes to Burton, were you impressed? What did you think of his performance this year? I was actually a little bit disappointed, to be honest with you. Um, I thought he really faded down the stretch. Um, and this is more just based on my recollection of watching the game than any statistical analysis. But it just felt like every time they threw him the ball, unless he was wide open, he just wasn't making any contested catches. Um, so, I mean, there were times that he was wide open. I remember that one in the corner of the end zone, like the route to get open for that. Oh, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. But... Um, like if there's a guy right in his face, I don't think he's very good at get bringing the ball in, which is unfortunate. Hey, it you started. So I remember you talking about this and I asked because you frankly got me started thinking about this. Uh, I really agree with you. Generally speaking, it feels like Burton gave us 
a good understanding of what the U's basic responsibility is because his route running is frankly better than a lot of the other stuff he does. So he fills that run blocking role as minimalistically as he can, but he does get it done by and large. I know he's pro football focuses uh, best run blocking tight end of the year, but while that's a little bit ridiculous uh, to say out loud, he did do a decent job run blocking. He also ran really nice routes a lot like he talked about, but I keep saying the same thing. If he's not op- if he's not wide open, he probably dropped it. And sometimes that's because the DB got around on him. And sometimes it's because, frankly, he just doesn't like having a guy on his back. But he did end up open a lot because this, Nag- this Nagy offense seems to be really good at getting guys open, especially if they can be a capable route running. It'll be really interesting to see whether tight ends like Semple or, frankly, any of the other tight ends, as I know tight ends can often end up falling deep down the draft, like how George Kittle, uh, who's the now record-breaking tight end, was a fifth-round uh, prospect in the same draft as Shaheen. It'll be really interesting to see if late, uh, late in the game, Nagy and Pace look to potentially, heck, maybe they even pick up another pick somehow to try to find their next tight end guy. Yeah, I'd be... A big fan of that or even just to build depth um, to be fair to Burton I think he still offered value that didn't show up in his statistics um, I remember reading a piece last offseason um, where Nagy talked about just the importance of that U tight end in this offense um, as it's used to like reveal coverage for the quarterback to help him read the okay. defense and open things up for other people and I think we really saw that in the playoff game more than I thought I thought that having Burton out really wouldn't be that big of an impact because he really faded as a a pass catching threat down the stretch. But particularly uh, his absence, I think really showed up in Tariq Cohen's game Um, because I think Cohen only had like six total carries and targets. So like barely got Mm -hmm. the ball at all in that game. And I was, I was looking back at that and wondering like, why didn't they feature him more? Like they really needed offense and he could provide it. But he actually played his most snaps out of any game all year. They just couldn't get him the ball because Interesting. Philadelphia really prioritized taking him out and they could focus more attention on him with Burton not in the game. Okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I'm banging on Burton. It's more that I guess both you and I are coming at it from a perspective of was Burton a star? Well, no, probably not. But hey, like I'm sure you know as a professor, it takes work. It takes some talent sometimes, depends on the class, to get a C. And if Burton was a C-level U tight end, that's still passing. He still did his job. He, he fulfilled his role. He just didn't play exceptionally in it. The difference, I guess, between what was Burton, 500, 600-yard tight end this year? Uh, Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, the difference between a 600-yard guy and a 900,000-yard guy is the difference between making those contested catches, finding that extra bit of yak. The stuff that Burton didn't do probably took him away from star status. But like you're talking about, he was invaluable in at least bringing in a U tight end in Nagy's first year. It's a lot easier to sign one off the street uh, in free agency than it is to go have to draft one and teach him the whole offense anyways. Absolutely. I think him coming in knowing the offense really helped. And uh, again, just being able to count on him to run the right route every time uh, was really big for Trubisky being able to read defenses because Nagy said a lot of the play designs are built around that. 
Um, and, you know, he's he's not a bad player. He's just not a great one, but he's being paid mm-hmm. like a great one right now because that's <laughs> yeah. how free agency works. And the Bears are have been able to do that for the last several years that they can overpay decent guys in free agency. But that time is ending, and so that's why they need to be looking for his replacement is because, you know, same with, like, Taylor Gabriel or Prince Amukamara. Like, they're, they're solid players, but they're paid more than what they're worth. And the Bears just can't afford to be doing that with veterans for much longer. I was going to say, Jonathan, you're talking very, very uh, properly of making Trey Burton a cap casualty. I, I can see it. He's being paid a little bit too highly for what we can offer him, and especially if you can find one of those tight ends that you can develop over the 2019 season, start to introduce him that you starting role in 2020. That'd be ideal for how you replace him with cheap production, and frankly, that's how dynasties get built. Yeah, even beyond dynasties, just staying consistently good. That's what you've got to be able to do. Yeah. And mm-hmm. again, just like I said with Edge earlier, I don't have time to like watch film and form much of my own draft opinions, but I follow a lot of people who I think are pretty smart in the draft and who have proven to be right more often than not over the last five to six years. And they all say, just like with Edge, that this is a really good and really deep tight end class. Ooh, that's so I know they don't. I know they don't have a lot of picks, but... There are a lot of athletic tight ends this year, and I would love for them to walk out of the draft with one of them. Here's an interesting question. So if you just take it from a brainy, uh, abstract, high-level position, you are sitting with the Bears draft picks that you have in 2019, and you've got the potential plethora of picks that I know guys like Aaron Lemming advertised that the Bears may have next year with like, I think, gosh, must have been like, 10 or 11 picks if various conditionals work out and the Bears get compensatory picks. You get the idea. A lot of picks that may come from the creative options that Pace can provide. Would you consider pulling one, maybe even two of those picks into this year so the Bears can get that cheap production a little bit sooner, even if it comes at the cost of next year's draft? Honestly, I'd rather they not because you're always paying a a premium for that, right? Like last year they gave up their second rounder this year, plus a fourth last year to get Anthony Miller. Now that mm-hmm. worked out. I really like Miller. I think he's really good, but you're not going to be like giving up, you know, a second next year to get a second this year without paying some additional cost as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Pace has been very aggressive doing that the last few drafts and maybe he does here with the limited draft capital, but sooner or later, I'd ra- rather that they, Um, play the law of averages, which almost always in the NFL works out in the draft, that the more pick value you have, the better off you are. And so those trades are not a winning proposition in terms of just pick value overall. That makes sense to me. I really couldn't personally be more on the fence. You bring up Anthony Miller. I think he's a great person to use when we have this conversation about draft value because, and Feel free to step in if you disagree, but I think Miller is the best case scenario. Like, kudos to Pace. He moved up and got his guy, and that guy ended up actually being a pretty dang good football player. Now, it's when you move up to draft somebody with that premium fourth-round pick that ends up being a nothing guy. Like, let's say, frankly, you just get somebody like Kevin White. I know he's a often a controversial first rounder about whether he was lucky or not. And we don't need to get into him. We're just, I'm just using him as a baseline bust. So if the bears do that, do uh, they trade up and they get one heck, even two uh, players at the cost of a couple of picks either this year or next year. And those guys don't pan out. 
Well, now you just threw the value away for a shot at somebody that didn't work out. So to your point, frankly, I've kind of started to step back towards that ledge of let's just see what we can get with exactly this haul. It's obviously tantalizing for people who want to move up for a running back. They want to move up for another safety. People just want to move up. They just want to get that instant gratification. But if we sit back, we swallow the fact that we don't have a whole lot of picks due to the Mac trade and plenty of other big moves and pass through this 2019 offseason, get onto the 2019 season, we're suddenly going to start hitting a place where we've got our draft picks back. And that could be way, way, way better long-term for us. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I honestly wouldn't mind, depending obviously on who's available when they come on the clock late in round three, is honestly trade back, pick up an extra pick. You know, you got somebody in fairly early round four who really wants to get back up, you know, before day two of the draft ends and get a guy they had their eye on. You know, maybe you pick up an extra fifth round pick then. Now you've got... That'd be huge. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be great. Um, It really is interesting. Of course, if they have a running back there or somebody else they really like, that's that's not going to happen. But I think trading back has been proven time and time again um, to be a winning proposition in the NFL. And to put a bit of a, we'll call it a face to the numbers of what trading back would look like. I'm with you that, uh, with this year in particular, I keep looking at the draft and I keep thinking that it always, every time I look at what positions we probably need to draft guys at and the names that very well could be available at those positions, I'm always shocked by, like you mentioned, there's six running backs that fit all of the measurables that you mentioned. There's 12 that are one short, uh, just barely. So the chances are that if we traded back in round three, like you're talking about, we're still going to get our running back. We still have a shot at an athletic tight end. We still could get an edge rusher that might make a difference because I have no idea if Kylie Fitz will ever become anything. And eventually we've got to restock the cupboard with a guy like Aaron Lynch on a one-year deal. So to your point, getting more picks sounds frankly more like what the bears need because it used to be that we needed superstars we we had bodies we needed impact players and then we did this crazy thing where we traded for khalil mack we signed alan robinson we got the guys that are making differences for the bears uh re-signed akeem hicks another great example eddie jackson blossomed now we just need more of those depth guys that can grow into the role given the time what do you think absolutely yeah i actually um, after like they re-signed Lynch and uh, the long snapper scales last week, I put together like here's what their depth chart would look like now, and I had like 45 or 46 names on there, which is pretty much everybody who's active Whoa. on game day, and it was hard to see a spot outside of running back where a rookie would stepping in, you know, a third round or later rookie would have a real good shot of earning a spot in the two deep this year, basically, like they're pretty set right now obviously injuries always happen that can change that Mm -hmm. but i think they really should be drafting with the future in mind more than this year and like it's okay to have a lighter draft haul this year because of the moves that they made with that capital that are already added to this year's team they don't have huge needs for this year they will have big needs going forward don't mortgage those picks away because you know eddie jackson can get paid after next year trubisky floyd some guys who are going to be really expensive are coming up, which means more and more they're going to start needing cheap players from the draft. So they're going to have like 10 picks next year. Great. They're going to need them. Yeah. 
I totally agree with you there, especially with guys like Gabriel. I mean, base, the long and short, I could rattle off a whole bunch of bears, but exactly like you're saying, we are about to pay some expensive bills with Eddie Jackson rolling around eventually. Mitch Trubisky, his extension is obviously going to cost a pretty penny. And like I keep saying, every time the Trubisky extension uh, doomsday counter keeps coming into conversation, we have to treat Trubisky like he's going to get extended because if he doesn't end up earning an extension, the Bears are screwed anyways. So we've got to start from that place of let's assume Mitch Trubisky played his way into an extension. It's going to be expensive. And with guys like Gabriel, frankly, Burton, uh, like you mentioned, I think a third outside linebacker could potentially replace Floyd. Obviously, we'd have to see you have you end up needing a guy who can fill that role capably before you move on from it. But like you're talking about, we have a lot of picks. We frankly are going to have a whole lot of needs. They're just going to be a year away from being instant needs. And I think we'll need the picks, especially if we can grit our teeth and just power through this year. It's nice to know we really only have one desperate need, and that's running back who you can get very, very serviceably in those mid to late rounds this year. So as far as what do we need this year, that's not that difficult to get, and that's great to know. I don't even think I would classify running back as a desperate need either. It would be really good to have another guy there to have a complete room. I mean, you figure Mike Davis probably handles 150 carries. I think that's about right. Tariq Cohen was at about 100 last year. Corderell Patterson was at around, I don't know, he played like 50 snaps at running back. He can probably get like 20 to 30 carries. I mean, you add another guy in who can, you basically need like another 100 carries there. Mm-hmm. Frankly, and, it won't shock me if Patterson ends up at around 70. I, I know that might sound insane, and I could be totally wrong there. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Nagy sees Patterson as primarily a running back and uses him in that role, especially next to Cohen. If you have a defense that has to account for both of those guys, both home run hitters on the same field at the same time, that sounds like a nightmare to me. But hey, we'll have to see if Nagy does it. Yeah. um, One thing I'm really looking forward to with the offense this year is something that Howard couldn't offer, which was the flexibility. Um, they were so predictable. I think there was a 25% swing in how often oh, their goodness. plays were runs versus passes when he was on versus off the field. And if you get a guy who's a bit more involved in the passing game and could even motion out from the backfield, um, or like Patterson and Cohen could both motion into the backfield mm-hmm. or out of the backfield, it just makes it a lot harder for defenses to know what you're going to do. Even Davis can. Now, Davis doesn't do much out of the backfield. He's not going to run a deep route, but he can motion out of the backfield. It almost seems like that's the kinds of guys Nagy wants to exactly your point. And I know uh, you brought this up when I put out that Howard versus Cohen thread from a couple of days ago, but that versatility seems to be the bread and butter of this Nagy offense, that they want to keep you guessing on whether it's a run or a pass at any given down. Absolutely. It's the name of the game in the NFL these days is you just defenses are trying to keep offenses guessing offenses are trying to keep defenses guessing. I'm just excited that we have a coach that's actually engaging in that game instead of a power run approach that John Fox is bringing. I'm just glad we moved on from that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, Jay Wood, it's been phenomenal having you on. Where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Jonathan underscore Wood. 
Um, I think that's my handle. Let me actually double check that real quick. I never, oh, there's a one on the end there. So Jonathan underscore Wood one, um, or you can uh, read my articles on Bear's blog. They are phenomenal stuff. Everybody, you ought to check them out. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't. Seriously, Jay Wood, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure having you. Thanks. This was a blast. I'm always down for talking bears. Absolutely. That's frankly all I do with my free time nowadays. So whenever you want to come on, just let me know. Awesome. Look forward to coming back sometime. Anytime. And we're back, folks. And that's all I've got for you today. I hope you learned something, whether from me or from Jonathan, about the state of the Bears and what we've got coming up. And frankly, I can't wait until the draft. We'll get a much clearer picture of what's going on with this team. Who's going to be our starting running back? What kind of depth pieces are we going to have in the pipeline? We'll know all the answers to these questions and more as soon as the draft comes through. And trust me when I say that Windy City Gridiron will have you covered with all of the draft content you could possibly want. As usual, you can find me at Robert K. Schmitz. That's at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. I highly recommend you follow me on Twitter because that's where I do a whole lot of my film study-related work, and I plan on putting something out about running backs either, uh, well, in the next couple of days. But anyways, until then, feel free to give me a shout. Talk about football. Don't talk about football. We can talk about something else if you want to, but hey, football's something I'm really enjoying talking about but yeah feel free to reach out let me know if you liked the show if you didn't like the show what you think i could work on going forward and as always bears fans bear down and thanks so much for bearing with me (laughs) 